All right. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be back here. Missed you guys. Yeah. We had a great vacation. It was awesome and wonderful. And um, a couple of people gasped. I wonder if you people will. When I say, like, the first Sunday, it's like, well, it's nice not to have to get up and go to church. You know what I mean? Some of you were used to that. (laughs) I kid. I kid. Oh, not really. But... uh... You know, it's like, hey, hey, yeah. And then uh, this week, you know, going through this week, it's like, man, I can't wait for work. I can't wait for work. Church is an oasis. You know what I'm saying? Church is an oasis. And I I love the fact that um, we understand grace and we understand God's mercy and we understand that it is not about being religious, right? It is not about legalism. It is not about us being good enough for God. That is, that is so freeing. When you finally understand, you have that revelation in your life and in your heart where you realize, I'm never going to be good enough. And I never can be good enough. And you finally realize the simplicity of it, but he's good enough. And he gave himself for me. So every single day when I break the law, because I break it in word or in deed or in my mind or in my heart, as do we all, I know that because of Jesus Christ, I am still justified, sanctified, and glorified. You understand how awesome the privilege and the right, when we talk about cheap grace, when we talk about, you know, grace isn't a license for me to continue to sin. It's all a matter of perspective. Any sin that you do, we can leave this church, all of us. We can go to the closest bar and we can get snobber knocked. Okay? We can. We're not going to do that today. Okay? But we could do that and God would forgive us. But the price that was paid for that forgiveness teaches me that I don't ever want to do something like that to put my Savior back on the cross. He didn't die so that I could continue to sin. He died so that I could be forgiven and He sent His Holy Spirit so I could be transformed or conformed into His image and into His likeness. And as the Apostle says, and this is a hard truth for all of us, especially those of us who live in this country, in this land of plenty, when the Apostle says, and not only that, but we welcome tribulation. Say, what? No. I don't welcome tribulation. In fact, just the other day, when Frank Lee came over and told me that my septic vent was overflowing, you know, the poop volcano that happens. Yeah. I, first I blamed him, right? What did you do? You know. And then I thought to myself, I'm just going to burn the house. How would that be? I'm just, I'm just going to burn it all. I'm going to go live in a grass hut in the woods, you know, and call it a day. Me and my dirt bike, you know what I mean? And then the Lord comes alongside you and goes, really? Really? Is that what we got going on here today? And then you're like, no, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You understand That's the purpose of tribulation. Tribulation and persecution doesn't come our way so that we can show how great and awesome we are. 
in how we endure it. Tribulation and persecution come our way to stretch us, to squeeze us. And you know what happens when you squeeze a sponge, right? Whatever's inside of it comes out. Whatever's inside of it, whether it's muddy, nasty, disgusting water, or whether it's fresh, clean water, when that sponge is squeezed, whatever's inside of it is coming out. And so when I get squeezed, and that muddy, dirty, nasty water comes out, you know, and you go through all the stages, woe is me, you know, and, and oh, I'm so, Lord, I'm so sorry, and, and I don't deserve, blah, blah. Here's the other great thing about a sponge. When you release that sponge, whatever it's immersed in, it will soak that in. And so persecution and tribulation come our way and we're squeezed and stuff comes out. But God uses it in our life for us to draw close to him, to press into him so that we can be laid into his word, laid into his spirit and filled. And then the next time you squeeze out that sponge, still some, you know, but there's some clean water there too. And every time, it's cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. That's the purpose. That's why God allows it. This life ain't about this life. Every single day when you turn on the news, every single day when you go on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Slapograp and whatever else there is, right? Every single time, you are confronted with a world that believes that this life is about this life. But God has called us to something beyond this life. Our hope is not in this life, as the scripture says. If it was, if our hope in Christ was only for this life, we would be above all men the most pitiable. Why? Because we're over here trying not to indulge in the great goofy gravy things of life. Right? All the things that my flesh craves and desires. The scriptures and the Holy Spirit is teaching me and instructing me, Frank, no, say no to this thing. Say no to this thing because it's only going to work a harvest of destruction in your life. Instead, say yes to spiritual things. Say yes to my word. Say yes to devotion with me. Say yes to spending time with me. And if I did that all my life and denied myself every worldly physical pleasure only to die and go into the ground and that's the end of it. What's, what's it for? What's it for? That's why the pagans would always say, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And that's what you see every single day out there. People who have no hope for the next life. Christian, the only goal, the only aim that we have is the next life. And all the things that we do in this life are to store up for ourselves, you can say it with me, treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, Jesus said, there your heart is also. As much of our hearts as we allow to be hooked up, to be linked up to the things of this world, it's disappointment. Maybe momentary gratification. Maybe momentary pleasure. It's long-term disappointment. There's never going to be that harvest of righteousness. There's never going to be that fruit. Everything that we do here is for what's next. 
So uh, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Exodus. And we are in chapter 12. Lord, we pray that you'd cover these scriptures with us, Lord, and that you'd speak to our hearts, uh, Lord Jesus, and that you would fill us up with your spirit, Lord, and that you would be calling us, Lord, to, 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 excuse me, to do whatever it is that you have planned for us, that you have set aside, laid aside for us to do, Lord, that we would be conformed into the image of Christ Jesus so that we would have the ability to do what it is that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Oh, I got to punch in the password. I hate that. All right. Exodus chapter 12, and one of the best chapters in the Bible. <laughs> Exodus chapter 12, the Passover. The Passover. My title in my Bible says, God commands sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Now, every other plague, excuse me, leading up to this. There's a little title in your Bible, Pharaoh warned of judgment. Uh, Before that, it was the plague of locusts, judgment of darkness and light. And all of these headings explaining to us the things that God was doing in the nation of Egypt to bring it to its knees so that he could uh, set himself up as preeminent, as being the preeminent deity in the world, in the known world. Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world at that time, and their deities were widely worshipped. God, when he came to release the children of Israel from bondage, he wasn't there only for that. He was there to show himself as being preeminent. And each one of the plagues, as we've gone through, we've seen, was a judgment of God upon the false deities of Egypt. There is nothing that your gods can do to save you from my hand or from my will. God was teaching. God was instructing. And he was giving a lesson that we are still reading about today. And they are still celebrating it in Israel today. Though so many know not why. It's just tradition. It's just what we do. It's what our people do. God gave a lesson for the ages. For the ages. But when we get to chapter 12, it changes. God commands the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Yes, there is judgment upon the nation of Egypt. Yes, there is the harshest judgment that God brought upon the nation of Egypt is ahead of us that we're going to be reading about. But that's not the focus. That's not what God wants us to see. That's not what God is pointing us to. What God is going to point us to is the importance of the Lamb. More specifically, the importance of the blood. Let's read it together. Exodus chapter 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying... This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Can you see God's making this relatively important? Your calendar is going to revolve around what I'm about to tell you. Your calendar, the beginning of your year, starts here. This is important. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him take let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb, you see the personal, you see the, the, the I don't know if that's a personal pronoun. Is your a personal pronoun? It's some sort of literary term that means <laughs> your ownership. Your lamb. 
There's not a bunch of lambs. There's not a flock of lamb. There's not a herd of lambs. It's your lamb. Here's what I want to talk about. Your lamb. Your personal lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You know what God's doing here? Opening up the gospel to the Gentiles. You don't have to have a sheep. It can be a goat as well. Now, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. You notice how it's singular? As though it's one? Because it's still personal. This is you, personally, killing your lamb. This is not about all the lambs. This is about your lamb. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. Now it was starting to sound good. It was starting to sound like a nice barbecue, wasn't it? Until God said, leave the guts inside and the eyeballs and everything else. It's like, oh, oh. Have you ever cooked a, I once, and I can't remember if it was my fault or Nikki's fault. I'm going to go ahead and say it was hers. But um, we cooked a, a chicken or a turkey and we never took the gut bag out. Right? We didn't, we didn't pull the, all that silly stuff in there and, and stuff it instead full of onions. There's a reason you do that, turns out. Because if you cook it with those organs inside, it ain't that good at all, right? So hopefully they had a way to get around this to still make the lamb tasty. But here's what I want us to notice and I want us to see. The way in which it was prepared and what it was prepared alongside of. They shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Now later in scripture we're taught in the Passover uh, celebration still to this day, the Jewish children are taught the bitter herbs represent the bitterness of the bondage of slavery. The bitterness, that's the bitter herbs. And they're eating it with unleavened bread. And throughout the scriptures, the unleavened bread, or rather I should say the leaven that's in bread, is a representation of sin. Now what are the properties of leaven? Leaven, we've we've gone over this before, but it's always good to review. Leaven is what makes Italian bread from Columbus Bakery. Have you ever buy that? You smash it into your face. It is warm. It is delectable. I just put my face in it and just breathe the delicious delight. You know what I mean? I'm a foodie. I don't know if you knew. It is so good. You know what makes that bread so yummy? Leaven. It's the leaven that makes it rise and makes it fluffy and delicious and delightful. The other property that leaven brings into that bread is corruption. That's what makes your bread mold so quickly. That's what makes it so that when you come out to get your delicious morning toast with peanut butter and bananas on it and a side of a pound of bacon, and you look, and the bread has grown fur. Green fur, it's disgusting. And then you look around who you can blame for your, your bread having fur on it. You can blame the leaven. Now, 
If you're a real Christian like myself and you have a box of, I have none of this stuff. If you have a box of matzah bread in the next cupboard over, the matzah crackers that we use for communion, guess how long that stuff lasts? Like forever. It doesn't break down. It doesn't corrupt. Now listen, there's nothing wrong. And Christians sometimes, when they start to get into the scriptures, and they start to try to draw close to God and study the scriptures, uh, I, I got a call this, this, this very week. Do I need to eat like this? <laughs> right? I've got to keep all these things. Representation. Representation. This is about, this is when Jesus Christ came. That's what he came teaching. All of these ceremonial laws and these things in the Old Testament are a representation of something that's going on inside of your heart. And so it says the prophet, one of the prophets accused the people by saying, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're keeping all the ceremonial laws. They're doing all the right things ceremoniously or religiously, but in their hearts, their, their heart of hearts, their priority is not relationship with me. Their priority is not drawing into me and saying, God, I want to know you and I want to have a relationship with you. That's why when King David comes on the scene, who is a maniac, by the way, he is a lunatic half the time. But God says, here's a man after my own heart. Why? Because David said, I don't care what befalls me. I don't care what happens to me. Lord, only may it be by your hand. Just don't let me fall into the hands of men. God, any judgment, there's no judgment from you that's too harsh for me. There's nothing that I won't go through, and there's nothing that I won't do just to press into you and know you more. That's why David wrote the Psalms. When you read through the Psalms, you feel that spirit. Oh, just to know him. That song that we sang, that last one. Oh, to be like you. To give all that I have. Just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever. Forever. That's what God wants. So, when we talk about these things, these ceremonial things, these are representations, okay? Don't go home and throw out your wonder bread. What a terrible loss that would be, right? <clears throat> Keep your wonder bread. God wants the leaven in our hearts removed. God wants our hearts to be unleavened. It's not about the bread. Um, excuse me. So, we have the lamb or the goat. <clears throat> we have the bitter herbs representing the bitterness of bondage. And we have the entire, we have the unleavened bread, and we have the entire lamb or goat, the entire thing, in its entirety. Not one single part of it was to be cut off and cast aside before it was roasted in a fire. Every single part of it, including its entrails, was to be roasted in fire. <clears throat> Very interesting. Why? What's the purpose? You've already sacrificed the lamb. You've already drained it of its life's blood. You've already taken the blood and you've put it on the lentils and on the doorpost of your house. You've already done that. You've already supplied for yourself that ability for the for the for the um excuse me for the destroyer, the angel of death, to pass over your house. Why do I have to then roast the entire lamb? What is God saying? What is God showing us? He wants you to have all of the lamb. It's not a la carte Christianity. It's not a la carte relationship. I like this part, and so I'm going to receive this part, and I'm going to uh, uh, allow this part of the scriptures to have access into my heart and my life, and I'm going to go be obedient to this part. This part, 
I'm going to go ahead and forego that. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and let that one slide and let that one pass. Mm, I'm not crazy about that part of it. God says, no, but I want you to have all of the lamb. I want you to have everything. I want you to consume every single part of the lamb. In your life, I want you to have all of the lamb. Verse 9, he says, do not eat it raw. Do not eat it raw. Now, fire is always for us a picture of judgment. It's always for us a picture of judgment. Now, there are two kinds of fire. There is the fire of God's judgment, and then there is the fire that God uses to refine us. Whenever you face difficulties, whenever you're having uh, uh, emotional or, 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 or any kind of hurt or pain in your life, don't ever look at it, Christian, and say, God is mad at me. God is angry with me. This is God's judgment. This is God's fire in my life. Never. That is never the way God treats those that belong to him. But rather, he sees to refine you through a refining fire. You will never be consumed, but he will refine you in the fire. And so this is the picture that we have of this lamb roasted in the fire, never raw, never raw. Well, there's two reasons. We know that God forbade his children from eating any blood, any kind of blood, any kind of an animal's life, but blood is a sacred thing. And there's no theologian on earth today who fully understands why. <clears throat> we know in part, as the scripture says, we know in part, I understand the scriptures, <laughs> we know in part, Right? We know in part, the blood is sacred. What blood? Blood. That's why we don't eat blood. That's why we don't consume blood. Even in the New Testament, the church fathers commanded the Gentile churches not to eat blood. Abstain from blood. Why? Why is that so? Because the blood is everything, folks. The blood is everything. But the importance of the blood is in how it's offered and in how it's used. <clears throat> When God is going through the law with the children of Israel through Moses, when someone is guilty of committing a capital offense, God says they shall be stoned or they shall be whatever, put to death. What does he say? Their blood will be on their own head. There's a sacredness to the blood. There's an importance of the blood. So never raw. The other part of that is there has to be fire in our lives. There has to be fire in our lives. We need that refining fire. We come to him raw, okay? <clears throat> That's why it's never a good idea to preach to people a life enhancement gospel. Oh, you get saved, you give your heart to Jesus Christ, everything's going to go... It's the next day, I recommend you go play the lottery. You're probably going to win. It's like $8 million billion. Like, you're probably going to win. Get saved today. Jesus is going to make your whole life wonderful. How many of you have been walking with the Lord for more than 10 years? Well, that isn't true. My life didn't get easier. My life didn't get better. All of my circumstances didn't improve. Now, as we walk with God and as we are obedient to his word, there will be evidence of that in our lives. You want to have a healthy marriage, a healthy, strong marriage that lasts through the years? Then, then live your life and your marriage according to God's word. Bring your marriage before God and say, this is not our marriage, God. This is your marriage. We want to conduct ourselves before you. You are at the center of this family, not our love, not our kids, not our will. You are at the center of our marriage. You are at the center of our lives. And I guarantee you, though you may have ups and you have downs, 
And you may have problems. In fact, you will have problems. I guarantee that because, you know, the wives, they just never get off your back. (laughs) Just kidding. I may have culpability in the problems in my marriage from time to time. Just a little bit, you know. But the overall picture, when I look back, I may be fighting with Nikki because she's done something disappointing, or, 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 or maybe I broke something. I don't know. But we may be, and it may seem like, this, is, this stinks. This stinks. You know, Lord, the woman that you gave me. You know what I mean? Whatever. When I step back and I look at the overall picture, you know what I'm talking about, right? Because marriage isn't always a bowl of apples or roses or however that phrase goes. What is it? Cherries. Are they chocolate covered? Because then I'll eat them. Otherwise, I don't want a bowl of cherries, okay? If I look back and say my, life's, my wife and our marriage is a bowl of cherries, I, yeah, you know, a bowl of uh, ring dings, now you're talking, right? A bowl of chicken wings. Life is like a bowl of chicken wings. Okay. When I look back and I step back and I take the aerial photo view of my family and of my life, when I zoom all in, sometimes, ah, you know, but when I zoom out and I see the overall work that God has done, that's beautiful. That is a beautiful portrait. Wow. You know, because I know it ain't because of me, right? I say this all the time. I tell the kids, if mommy goes down, we're going to pile into the van. We're going to drive over a cliff. It's all over without mommy. Not only because we won't be able to know how to get our socks on without her, but I can't sound like I can find another wife. There's not a woman out there that would stay with me for more than a week. You know what I mean? This is the only one, right? It's beautiful. God, what you've done. I'm an idiot. I did my best to destroy everything around me. I went out of my way to hurt people. I went out of my way to destroy relationships and spread rebellion. But as soon as I turned to God and said, Christ Jesus, come into my life and change me and make me what you need me to be, he made something beautiful of my wretched life. And here's what I know and here's what I've learned. The less that I hold back from him, the more beautiful the picture gets. The more beautiful the experiences are in my heart, in my relationships. The more I hold back from God, the more I say, I'm not going to do that. You're ripping yourself off. You're ripping yourself off. I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and to give you a hope. God's thoughts are always the same towards us. Love. So you came to him raw. Now it's time for him to cook you. And he's going to cook you. And he's going to roast you. And he's going to turn you into a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's refining fire. Dad pointed out something this morning that was awesome that I'm going to completely rip off. The boiling part, this, why not boil it? First of all, ew, right? But second of all, why not? Why not boiling? Boiling is a sterilization process. Before all the fancy things that we have in hospitals today that are incredible and amazing, you boil stuff. That's how you sterilize it. That's how you get rid of germs and bacteria. You boil stuff. That is me taking the lamb and I'm going to make this thing a clean thing. I'm going to make this thing a clean thing. And God says, no, you're not fixing your life up, kids. 
You're not going to fix your life up or make something beautiful of your own life because you do this and you read this book and you do that devotional and you go to church and you read this many fingers of scripture each day and you say certain prayers and you go certain places and you talk to certain people. <clears throat> that's, that's you boiling yourself. Everything good that happens to us and every growth, every good growth and every good work in our lives is a work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's his refining fire. Excuse me. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it till morning you shall burn with fire. <clears throat> Again, the consumption of the entire lamb. And thus you shall eat it. Now this is more primarily to the children of Israel, but also has a point here for us. And thus you shall eat it. In other words, in this way... You'll, you shall eat the lamb. Here's how I want you to eat it. With a belt on your waist, with your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Why? For the children of Israel, it's because what's going to happen next is going to happen fast. After the angel of death comes through, the, the, the nation of Egypt and the firstborn are killed, the Pharaoh gets up in the middle of the night, calls Moses and says, go, just go, take everything and everyone and just go. And so the middle of the night, so, so don't get all comfortable and put on your sweat shorts and your Crocs and your ready to travel, ready to move, ready to go. You get the point for you and I? Dad read for us a beautiful scripture this morning um, where Paul says, I'm, oh, I'm just, I'm blanking on it right now. God has in store for me a crown of righteousness and not for me only, but for all those who what? Love his appearing. Another way you could say that is who long for his appearing. You know what's holding me back? <laughs> Nothing. Oh, you know, you know in, in Guatemala, you may be like eaten by ants or they may take your organs. Whatever, dude. Like, whatever. First of all, that's not going to happen, okay? Let's not get dramatic, Dad, okay? <laughs> Dad's like, oh, you should take your gun. I don't think I can do that, you know? It's mission trip, for heaven's sake. You know, you come to Jesus or else, see? No, no. God opened the doors for me to go to Guatemala. I really don't particularly want to go. I can't even ride, right? I can't ride. It's a third world country, kids, right? Hello? I got chicken wings to eat, right? Bowls of chicken wings. What are we eating in Guatemala? I don't know, but it doesn't sound good, you know. <clears throat> it's like basically veggies all day. What am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> and then you may have a little piece of meat at night. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take his meat too, probably. It's, it's, I, I'm not like super pumped and super stoked. I was talking to my daughter the other day about this. Like, I'm not like, yay, Guatemala. But Donita came up to me at camp and said, I feel like the Lord's put you on my heart. He wants to go to Guatemala. And I'm like, yeah, it's not going to happen, you know. I said, okay, well, let's throw it out. If the Lord wants me to go, I'm going to go. That's it. Uh, if the Lord wants me to go, I'm going to go. So <clears throat> start taking the little baby steps of faith and, and putting it out there. Like, it's okay if you say no, Lord. <laughs> like, it's totally cool. Like, I don't have to go at all, you know. I, I can stay here, you know what I mean? And God just whoo, swung the door open. It, within a day, everything's, everything's provided, and I actually got off the phone and I looked at my wife that same day that I put that post on Facebook and goes, 
I said, well, I, I guess I'm going to Guatemala, <laughs> you know. Who cares? And I was telling my daughter, you know, even though I'm not stoked on going to Guatemala, I already know what's going to happen. I already know what's going to happen. My, first of all, first of all, God's going to roast him some fat boy flesh today, right? Right, this, he's going to roast him some fat boy flesh. I'm going to be on the spit, you know, with an apple in my mouth. And God's going to roast me a little bit. Crucify your flesh. Put aside your flesh. It's not going to be any fun. Not, I'm calling you to go. Crucify, will you crucify your flesh? Well, of course, what are you going to do, right, Christian? I, yeah, I'm going to crucify my flesh. I already know what God's going to do. He's going to do something beautiful. And he's going to do something amazing. And as my flesh is laid to the side, God is going to replace that with a spiritual blessing that money can't buy. That nobody can ever give you but God. I already know I'm going to come back home and they're going to be like, how is Guatemala? I'm like, <laughs> you know. Because God did some amazing work. <clears throat> and, and, and allowed me to minister to some beautiful people. You know what? God's awesome. You can trust him. You can trust him with every part of your life. Man, don't hold anything back. He wants to have all of you. He wants you to have all of him, the whole lamb. Every single part of the lamb he wants you to have. And he wants you to be ready. He wants you to be ready at a moment's notice. I want you to go here. I want you to go there. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. What's holding me back? What's stopping me? from doing what God calls me to do. Now, if he's not calling you to do something, don't just go do anything, right? Because that ain't going to work out well. You end up in a, in a pickle if you do that. But when you feel, and you'll know it, I promise you, Christian, you'll know it when you feel it. When God prompts you and God puts something at your heart and you step forward in obedience, I don't care how small it is. It doesn't matter how big it is. You understand? You're complete and glorified in Christ. If he asks you, I want you to do this. Oops. I want you to do that for me. And you're like, well, that's nothing. It's everything. Because it's obedience to the one you love. And the one who loves you and gave himself for you. And great is your reward in heaven. So don't put things in your mind. Well, if I give myself to God, he's going to make me do this. And he's going to make me go here. And he's going to make me give up this. There is nothing that you, he won't ask of you that isn't going to fall off of you. When you obey... That you're just not going to be like, wow, why didn't I do this before? Why didn't I do this years ago? He's so good. He's so gracious. <clears throat> and also, that we're ready to go when Jesus returns. I don't know about you guys. I'm like ready. Every time I turn on the news, I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. Right? This is ridiculous what's going on. Like we're falling apart here. We're falling apart. And God wants to tell us this. I never expected you guys to get it together. This life is about us growing in him and telling people about him and blessing other people. I mean, when the church gets political, it's always a bad idea. It is always a bad idea. The church starts supporting this cause or this cause or this candidate or that candidate. Who cares, man? That's God's business. Now, you're, a, you're an American. Do your civic duty and vote according to your conscience and leave it at that. I understand we've got our own opinions and we get in our little pockets and we have, that's, that's okay. But my goodness gracious, the church is consumed. The church is consumed with politics. 
Hello? Jesus said what? My kingdom is not of this world to Pontius Pilate. If it were, my children, my people would fight. But as it is, it's not of this world. Everything that you see around us, if you see injustice, if you see wickedness, if you see nothing but lies and deceit, if you see nothing but but just grossness, what do you expect the world to be? It doesn't need us to be good Republicans, Democrats, or Independents. It needs us to be good Christians. Now listen, here's what I want to tell you. I'm going to say something political right now, okay, concerning uh, immigration. I'm going to say something concerning immigration. It's none of my business. The law is what it is. Let the law people work that out. Here's what I know. If a family of illegal immigrants from wherever comes to this place, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to meet their needs. I'm going to love them, and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm not going to get political about it. I'm not going to be about this. I'm here for people. Well, are you a Republican? <laughs> like, what? It's so stupid. Don't allow yourself. Listen, I'm telling you right now, The enemy wants you distracted, kids. He wants you distracted. And I mean, I get distracted. I get distracted by it. And I got to constantly remind myself, man, that's not your business. That's not why you're here. You are a pilgrim. You are a sojourner. You are passing through. And I need to be able to, and you need to be able to minister to everyone. Oh, I can't minister to a Democrat. They just don't see things right. You don't see things right. None of us see things right. At a moment's notice, put them in front of me. I want a Muslim cleric. That's who I want. Right? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care who it is. The person they well, let me let me minister to that person. Let me show them God's love. That's all that matters. What if they don't receive it? That ain't the point. Man, God's called us to something so much higher. Um, okay, let's stop. Let's stop. We'll stop right there. I've been rambling on. And it's like 12 o'clock, and if I start going again, I mean, look at you guys are already like, not teasing. <laughs> you start people to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit and the relationship that you've given us with yourself through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to have his heart. Uh, Lord, first of all, to... Um, to give all of ourselves to you, Lord, and to seek to have all of you and all of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, and help us to look at the world with compassion and, and love and mercy in our hearts, Lord, the way Jesus does as well. Lord, we pray that you would help us to not be distracted or sidetracked by all of the things going on in our world today or dismayed by it, Lord, but rather to only be looking for your prophetic word being fulfilled. Uh, and belonging and hoping and, and looking for the soon return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you'd have your way with us in this place, in our hearts, in our homes, even at our workplaces, Lord, that you would be present and you would be in our minds and in our hearts, Lord, and we would always be seeking uh, a way to serve you, Lord, and to serve other people. Uh, we thank you and we praise you and we glorify you for all you have done and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love you guys. <clears throat>